Good morning. I remember I was 15 years old. It was October. I remember football was just finishing up, and I remember being in my room and starting to do homework as the nights began to be more free. When I remember my mom says, Garrett Quest, Quest being my brother, say, come to the, come to the living room, we're going to have a family meeting, something that we've had many a times where we would discuss what's going on in the weeks and months to come as a family, just make sure that we were all on the same page. I remember coming into the living room and sitting down and looking at my parents and me and my brother waiting for what they had to say for us. And they look at both of us and they said, you know, guys, we have taken a lot of time and we've talked a lot and we've been thinking about it a lot and we've come to the conclusion that we're getting a divorce. After those words, I didn't hear much more they said or the reasons why I was just sitting there waiting for the shock of everything to finally sink in of what is actually happening and how my life will be drastically changing in the months to come. I remember leaving there and going into my room and turning off the lights and just sitting and leaning against the wall and just started to cry about the reality of what was happening to my family. As I sat there, I remember I began to think about, God, why is this happening? Why would you let this happen to my family? We love you so much. We serve you so faithfully. I mean, we're, we're serving you every Sunday. We're making it to your church. We're doing extra things. Like, why, why would you break this family apart? Do you actually really care about us, God? Do you actually really love us? If you're going to let this happen, if you're going to let my parents split, if you're going to let my parents divorce, are you really going to let this happen? And then it, the, the thoughts shifted from God to myself then as I began to think, maybe this is my fault. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I, think, I think I'm the one that's caused this. I mean, my parents, like their prime role is to take care of me and my brother. And so obviously there's some tension. It's probably gonna be from the kids. So it's probably my fault. And gosh, what did I do wrong? How can I make this right? What can I do next? Uh, how, can I, how can I fix my parents' marriage? And I sat there and I thought and I thought and I cried and I thought and I just remember being so lost and remember being so being filled with so much doubt and despair. How many how many times have we felt those same whispers in our life, in our minds? How many times have we felt where we feel the character of God comes under attack, where we begin to doubt, is God actually who he says he is? Or maybe we feel those lies about ourselves where we begin to look at ourselves like, gosh, maybe I'm, maybe it's it. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm, maybe it's because of me that all these bad things are happening. This morning, we're going to take a look at those lies, where they come from, the truth that comes to God to combat those lies as we continue our series in the valley. My name is Garrett. I'm a pastor here on staff at Spring Lake, and we're so glad that you're here this morning. We're so glad that we get to spend this morning worshiping with you. And so 
with the series that we're going through in the valley, we're talking a lot about what does it look like to be inside the valley? What does it look like to be in the hard places in life? And we're going through trials and tribulations. What does it look like to navigate those times by holding on to the attributes of God? And so this week we're talking about the truthfulness of God and how that can help us to navigate the valley. And we've been saying it uh, throughout the series, and I'll continue just to hammer it home that when you hear these messages, don't, this, don't let this message be something that you take in and you remember about for the rest of the weekend, into the week, and then it disappears. Tuck these, these messages away, whether you physically are like saving them and, um, for a later time or just keep them in your mind. Keep these messages somewhere hidden so that way when you do enter into a valley, you'll have them. Because some of us are in it right now. Some of us are in the thick of it. Some of us are in a space right now where we don't even know which way is up and it feels like we're in the middle of the ocean in a storm and we're just trying to stay afloat. And some of us are okay. Some of us are enjoying life and things are going great, but out of nowhere, a valley could hit us at any moment. So make sure that these messages just are tucked away so that way we can always um, be anchored in God and all of his attributes. Before I keep going, uh, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church and thank you that we can all be together and we can worship you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that you would guide my words into all truth, Lord. In your holy name we pray, amen. See, in the valleys, I feel like it's at a time when we are the most susceptible and to believe these lies about God and ourselves. I feel like it's a time where really we throw doctrine out the window, that we forget, we empty our mind of everything that we've ever learned about God, and we are now just grasping at anything to help us keep afloat, that we will, just anything that will help end the suffering, that will grab onto that and hold onto that and take it to heart, that it doesn't really matter if it's true or not, all we want to do is end the suffering. In those moments like that, we actually need to be still and we need to remember God's truth. The main idea today is that we need to remember God-founded truth instead of the lies of Satan. It's too easy to listen to them and to hear them and begin to think them as truth. But instead, we need to always be remembering God-founded truth, even when it doesn't look like it. Even when we look at our circumstances, look at the place we're in right now, and it doesn't look very much like truth. We need to always remember God found a truth no matter what. But before we look um, at God's truth and how that's going to be our ultimate help while we're in the valley, we first need to take a look, take a deep dive at where are those lies and where the deception is coming from and the purpose of them. The first thing we need to do is to realize that right now that we are in a battle that there is a war going on. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Right now, there's a war going on. It's, it's sometimes referred to as there's spiritual warfare, that there is this battle going on in the unseen realm between the forces of spiritual good and spiritual evil. And it feel, for some people, it feels a little too much like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Like this really can't possibly be real, right? These, these forces of just good and bad clashing it out. As Westerners, it's way too easy for us to dismiss that this is actually happening. We live in a culture and a time where we want evidence. We want proof. 
We want to know that this actually exists. We don't want to trust some dusty tome that says that angels and demons are fighting and trying to gain the allegiance of the followers of earth. We want actual evidence. We want pictures. We want videos. We don't care about some people's anecdotal like, oh, this once happened to me. We want actual evidence that all this stuff is actually going down. And that's exactly the spot where Satan wants us. He wants us to be ignorant. He wants us to not believe the truth that there is a war that is going on right now. So the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize the enemy and his battle plan. We need to recognize that there is someone that is pulling the strings, that there is something that is actually happening that we cannot see right now. We need to see it and we need to recognize that this is happening. The enemy, the leader of the side of evil, is Satan. Satan or the devil, some of you have probably heard the name before, but actually Satan is, the not, is not the name of this figure. Satan is a title. In the Hebrew, uh, it is referred to as the Satan. He is the adversary because he is not for anything, but he is against everything. Everything that stands for good, he wants to tear it down. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, to do anything he can to pull people from ever going to, ever going to God or ever hearing about the truth of what Jesus has done for them. And for people that are already have allied themselves, have put their allegiance in what Jesus has done, his goal is to pull us away and to tear us away and do anything we can to cast doubt in our lives, to stop trusting and who God and Jesus actually are. But before uh, we talk about his battle plan and his tactics and what he does, I think it's helpful to learn a little bit more about him and get a little more about the background of his character. And there's tons of things we want to know. Everyone would love to know, like, so how did, how did Satan, like, what's his origin story? How did he come onto the scene? I'm not going to be covering that today, uh, but I want to just look at a couple of verses. First being John 8.4. It says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we see right now, just in the character of Satan, that he is someone that there is no truth within him. He is the complete antithesis to God, a being of utter truth compared to being of, other, of utter deception and lies. There's not an ounce of truth that he ever speaks. He only speaks in deception and distortion. He's always working some angle. He's always trying to lie. He's always trying to deceive. He's always trying to cast doubt in other people's life. He is a liar to the nth degree. There's no one that is better at it. There's no one that does it more than him. And we see that even from Genesis, even from the beginning, he is spinning his webs. We go to Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, 
When you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So even just look at those statements where, he, where he's talking right there. What is he trying to do? He casts doubt immediately. God didn't really say that. That's not really what God meant. That's, really not, that's not really who God is. If God really loves you, he'll give you anything you want. He won't keep things from you unless he's, unless he's holding out on you, unless he actually doesn't want what's best for you. Oh, maybe you should have thought about it that way. He says, oh, like you won't, you won't die. You won't die if you eat the fruit. You'll be fine. You'll be just like God. Don't you want that? Isn't that what we want? To be just like God. We'll be good, just like him. We'll be able to know good and evil so that way we can help God or decide it for ourselves, whatever we want, but we'll be like God. In those couple verses, we see, even from the beginning, this is what he was about. Lying, deceiving, casting doubt from the first, from the first people in the Bible. His goal from the beginning was to, dra- was to drag creation, God's creation, out of a relationship with him. And I feel like these verses really encapsulate exactly what the battle plan is. To us relies into our mind to cast doubts so that we might believe those lies and doubts to be true and we begin to doubt God and what he says is actually true. So my question is for you, is what lies are you hearing? What lies are you hearing about yourself? What lies are you hearing about God? What are the moments where you doubt God and his character? What are those? I know for myself, I hear all the time, I hear the lies about myself that I'm not good at my job. The biggest doubt is the comparison game where it whispers in mind like, you're not as good as them. Why would you ever think that you could do good in comparison to this person? You're terrible at your job. You're not doing anything. Do you actually think you're actually discipling people? Or hear, about, hear it about my marriage. Like, you're five months in, and you're just going to get divorced just like your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. You're stuck in this cycle. You're just another cog in the wheel. It's going to happen to you and to your kids and to your kids. Or I hear about it when I think of God. I've had the longest struggle in my life and my walk has been the idea of like, God, do you really love me? Do you really love me or have, or am I just lost? Am I just a lost cause that can't be loved? I guarantee we could go to every single person here and we could ask them and they could tell us lies upon lies upon lies that we hear. But when we hear those lies and the doubt, sometimes it is our sinful nature as broken, corrupt human beings. Sometimes uh, it is just our sin that makes us doubt and uh, put those thoughts in our mind. But also there are many, many times that it is spiritual warfare, that there is something else at play. And it's way easier to dismiss it than to recognize the reality of what is actually happening. I mean, how many times have we um, been either at a grocery store or maybe we see our neighbors uh, in the neighborhood and we're like, ah, I really want to talk to them. Like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like God is prompting me to talk to them right now. I don't know what it is, but I feel like I should go, I should go say something to them. Probably, probably shouldn't, maybe they don't know the gospel, maybe we should tell them that. And as we get closer walking forward, we, we think, that's, no, I shouldn't do that. No, this is going to be weird. I don't want to do that. Oh, like, 
what do I mean? I don't, I don't even know what to say to them. Do I even, I don't really know them. It's just going to be awkward. It's just going to be, no, I'm just not going to do it. And then we walk past and we disobey a prompting of the Holy Spirit. That, in my mind, is a prime example of spiritual warfare. A moment in, we, in which we can advance the kingdom of God and the moments in which we can share the gospel and the moments in which we can say like, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. He is working in your life as well. In those moments, it feels like Satan is at work casting doubt and lies into our minds. That way the kingdom doesn't grow at all. And so we need to be watchful and we need to be discerning. We need to have eyes for what's going on. We need to see the ways that Satan is working, but we also need to be discerning. We can't see Satan under every single rock and say that, oh, he's the one that's making me do all these bad things. We have, there's some accountability for our sin as well, but we need to be watchful and see how he is working. That is the first step in how we combat uh, lies in our life. While we're in the valley, we'll hear uh, attempts from Satan. He'll try to seduce us with lies, to try to cast doubt into our mind about ourselves and about the character of God. And we need to have eyes to see the spiritual warfare that's happening. And then from there, we need to go to God's truth to combat those lies. John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth has power to set us free from sin that has enchained us and, is, and has bondage over us. It has, the truth has the power to set us free from that, but it also has power to defeat and push back the lies of Satan. From the, we need to remember the truthfulness of God. That's how we fight back. That's how we push back against those lies, is remember the truthfulness of God. Truth is our way to fight back. We're able to fight lies when we look at the truth of the character of God, the word, and finally, the cross. But as we look first at the character of God, we're going to run through a couple of verses that show God's truthfulness. First, Jeremiah 10.10. 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. We see that Yahweh, our God, is the true God he is the God. No one else compares to him. Back then in the Old Testament, there was the comparison to all the, all the, all the false gods of like, oh, who's more powerful? Is it Marduk? Or maybe it's Baal? Or maybe it is Yahweh? But back then, they would have said that, no, Yahweh is the true God, that there is no one that actually has any other power. Right now, we would say, well, we know those, know those aren't true. We know those gods don't actually exist, that they're just false gods. But right now, there's still false gods that we deal with on the daily basis. Whether it's gods of sex, money, power, our work, our marriages at times. What things do we elevate to the position of idols in our life and we worship them like false gods? We must remember that God is the true God. Psalm 25.5 says, Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. We see that truth originates from God, that he is the one that is the final standard of truth. He's not, God is not just conforming to what truth is, but he is truth itself. He is the one that says, that is the barometer. He is the one that sets the standard for what truth is in our life. He's not just this really, 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 really truthful being, but he's the one that says, this is it. 
this is the bar. This is what perfect truth looks like. And because he is the perfect standard for truth, it means that he, uh, that means that we can, uh, that we can ask him and we can be guided on by his truth, just like Psalm 25 says. If he has the perfect truth, then we should ask for his truth and let it guide us in all the ways that we live. And Numbers 23.9 says, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. God doesn't lie to us. You know, there's, there's those worship songs like, oh, there's nothing that our God can't do. But there's things that God can't do. That's just the truth of the situation. I know, mind blown. But there's things that God cannot do. One of the things he can't do is he can't do anything that's outside of his character, outside um, of his holiness. He can't sin, so he can't lie to us. When God speaks to us, he's not trying to manipulate us. He's not trying to work us to do a certain thing. He's not like Satan, who is the creature that is the epitome of what lying is. God is unable to lie. And so we can know that he only speaks truth to us. We know that God is perfectly true. And so when the lies begin to creep in about God and his character, when we begin to think things like, gosh, is God really loving? Does God really love me all the time? Does he perfectly love me? Is God really merciful? Does he really forgive my sins? We can know that because our God is perfectly true, all of his attributes, everything about him remains perfectly true. He's not one way, one day, and another day, a different way. He is always perfectly true in every, every single one of his attributes. We know that God is always loving, merciful, graceful, and so many more. We can trust that God will remain consistent in who he is because he is always true. And so in those moments when the, sin, when the lies creep in, remember God, remember who he is. Don't throw doctrine out the window, but be planted in who God says he is. Next is the word. We know that God's word is true and we know that it has power. That is a powerful thing. It has the power to guide and heal us while we are in the valley but Satan wants to lie to us. He wants to tell us that it isn't true or that it's actually useless. There's no point in it whatsoever. Psalm 119, 160 says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. We know that all of the words of scripture, a complete and utter truth. There's this idea, uh, this theological concept, concept called the inerrancy of scripture. We know that, which means that there are no errors within the Bible, that there's nothing wrong with it. That while it is, a, it is written by humans, it has been divinely inspired by God. So not a single thing is wrong about it. Nothing is incorrect. And so there's times we might, might be reading it. I've read it, I've read it myself and been reading it, but like, wait, I thought, like, this feels like it contradicts with this. And if we're getting to those moments, know that the Bible, there's nothing wrong with the Bible. There's something wrong with how you are reading the Bible. There's no contradictions. There's no errors. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. The Bible is complete truth. And since it is truth, that means that we can put all of our faith and all of our trust into what it says Bill, a couple weeks ago, talked about 
the uh, unchangingness of God. And because God doesn't change, that means that his promises are secure. In the same way, because God is true, that means all those promises are also always going to be true. And so if you need to, I think it'd be wise for everyone, go back to Bill's message. Listen to all those promises. Listen to every single thing that God promises for us. But even better, go into the Bible. Read it yourself. See the words for yourself every single time. Do your own study and just sit and be still and let the words wash over you and to think and to meditate on them. What do those promises actually mean for us? And know that they are always true. Know that in every instance, no matter what is going on, that God's promises reign supreme. Promises like that God will strengthen you. He promises to give you rest, to forgive your sins, to work everything out for our good. He promises that he is always with us, that he will provide for us. He promises freedom from sin and so much more and so many more promises. We know that all these promises are 100% true. And so when the lies creep in, go to Scripture. There's something so important about storing away Scripture, away in our hearts and in our minds. I would highly suggest to everyone that start getting into a regular routine, including myself, of memorizing Scripture. And not just memorizing a verse a week, but having verses put away in your mind that when anything happens, you can pull them out and remember them. Remember the truth of what God is actually saying. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. While we are in the deepest, darkest valley that some of you are in right now, the word is our light. The word helps guide us out. So that way we will not, there's no root, no rock, no uneven path that can trip us up. But using God's word, it'll help us, it'll help guide and navigate us out of the valleys that we are in. So we're in the valley and, we're, and we hear the lies, go back to God's word and it will guide us out. And finally, the cross. The cross is the ultimate sense of truth. We can take rest and know what Jesus did for us We know that Jesus, that we are sinners that rebel against God, but God was willing to send his only son to die for us. So that way, when God sees us, he sees us as pure like his son. We can take ultimate truth that that is true. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one and only way to salvation. He is the ultimate truth. And once we get that truth, there's nothing that, um, there's nothing that um, can do to remove it from us. There's a verse in Roman, Romans 8 that says, there's nothing that can take us away from the love of God, nor heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor demons, nothing. Nothing is able to take us away from the love of God. But it's not the only thing that the cross does for us. While it grants us salvation, it also shows that Satan has no more power. In this war that is going on, the battle is already finished in Jesus. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 reads, while you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so by Jesus' death, our legal indebtedness, our guilty status has been wiped away in the name and the blood of Jesus. But also, Jesus' death stands that the powers and authorities, Satan and his armies, have been disarmed and defeated. There's nothing that they do. They hold no actual power over us. There's sometimes that we live life, we think, oh, Satan, like, Satan can actually have power over us, that this battle is already happening, and I don't know who's going to win. It could be Satan, it could be Jesus, but the war is over. Jesus has won. Jesus has won. It's like if you're watching a football game, and at halftime it was 1,000 to zero. The game still has one more half left to play, but there's still time on the clock. We already know who the winner is going to be, and now the clock just needs to wait out before the game is finally finished. The game is over. The battle is won. Jesus has done it, but there's still time on the clock. So if, you, if we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we know the truth that Satan has no power over us. His lies have no sway over us. No doubt can be sown into our mind. We know that Jesus has won and his truth reigns supreme. That he is the King of kings. That he is the Lord of lords. That at his name, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is King. But sooner or later for all of us, we'll still be in a valley. We're still gonna be in a place where we are suffering, we're going through those trials and we will still have lies infest our mind. Satan will not stop trying to sow doubt into our mind. I know for me, over the last year and a half, there's been a particular battle that's been tough for me. Pastor Ryan mentioned it a couple weeks ago where he had a mentor that taught him everything that he knew about ministry, taught him a lot of what he knew about God, and that mentor was the same for me, and I don't feel comfortable, and I don't think it'd be wise for me to tell what exactly he's done, but what he did was morally reprehensible, and he's done things that have shown that I would, I would say that he's not really a Christian. He's done things that still really shock me to this day. And in the last year and a half, I've been navigating the situation. It's been so hard. There's been so many doubts in my mind about God and who he actually is and how he would let such terrible things happen, how he would hurt so many people and how he would let this person be in a position to hurt so many people. There's so many lies I've heard about myself, too, of wondering, am I even qualified to do ministry? Everything I know is from this terrible person. Is all the, all the things that he taught me, are there actually good ministry advice, or are there just ways to manipulate people? And time and time again, I've had to sit and be still in who God is. I would have to take time to intentionally remember the truth of who God is and what his word says about himself and me. 
time and time again in those valleys, I've gone back to Genesis 50 when Joseph is talking to his brothers. He said, what you meant to do to me was evil, but God meant it for good. That our God is big enough that he works out the evil for good. In those moments that are so tough, in those moments where we doubt who God is, in those moments when we, when we hear the lies about ourselves, we need to take time to intentionally remember who God is. It's not just that we know a bunch of the Bible stories, but we go to God's word, that we spend time in prayer, that we remember the truth of what God says and who he is. We also need to know that we don't have to do this alone. We look at this room, look at all the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have, people that can point us to the cross, people that can say, that is truth. Stop doing what you're doing. Don't listen to the lies. Don't listen to the deception, but listen to the truth of who God is. We have friends and family and so many people that want to point us to the truth. So don't walk this valley alone. Walk instead with people that will continuously point you to the truth of who God is. We need to remember, even in the times when it doesn't make sense, even the time where it doesn't look like God is in control, even when it looks like all of our doubts and all the lies are true, in those moments, we need to take time and remember the truth of God, remember his truthfulness. Let me pray to close. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray a prayer of protection over everyone here. I pray that everyone would be safe from the attacks of Satan, that no lies or doubts would infest their mind or their thoughts, Lord, that they would be protected by your word. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, that we would take this message and put it away in our minds, that we would remember your truthfulness in all situations, Lord. So when it feels like we're in the middle of the ocean, we don't know what's one, one, what way is up, that we can be still and we can sit in your truthfulness, Lord. And your truthfulness will guide us out of this valley, Lord. In your holy name we pray, amen.